The second of the six gifts you're going to discover is, in some ways, the most important one of all. It's the one that can come to your aid when all others seem to be silent. The one that is most strongly connected to the realm of infinite consciousness, intelligence, and awareness. Yet it is also the most elusive of the six gifts. And as a result, it's often the least developed and least utilized. In this session, Bob and Mary reveal the secrets to nurturing and refining this gift so that it becomes an efficient and effective tool for understanding, empowerment, and change. There's a beautiful line that comes from a play called Secret of Freedom. Archibald McLeish won a Pulitzer Prize for this particular play. He had a character stand up in the play, The Secret of Freedom, and the character said, the only thing about a man that is a man is his mind. Everything else you'll find in a pig or a horse. Now, you know, the first time I heard that, I thought, come on. But as I started to think about it, I realized just how accurate Archibald McLeish was. The only thing about a man that is a man is his mind. Everything else you will find in a pig or a horse. We're not here talking about pigs or horses. We're here talking about you, about me. And we're talking about these marvelous mental powers that we've got, as Mary referred to them, these great gifts. Now, to understand these gifts, I think it's necessary that we discuss the mind in general. When you're talking about the mind, you're talking about an awesome power. There's not seven billion plus minds in the world. There may be seven billion plus brains in the world, but there is only one mind. And we're all an expression of that one. I often mention that I reside, my home is in Toronto. I have a brother that lives in Southern California. And it's not uncommon if he phones me or if I phone him and it's nice weather in Toronto, he may say, what are you doing? And I point out that I'm sitting out by the pool in the sun reading. And I said, what are you doing? He says, I'm doing the same thing. Here I am sitting in the sun 3,000 miles away. But understand this, it's the same sun. Miles apart, there's one sun. Well, understand this, there's one mind. There's many different expressions of the mind, but there is only one. You and I think in pictures. We literally think in pictures. If I asked you to think of a feather, you don't see the letters F-E-A-T-H-E-R. You have an image of a feather. If I asked you to think of your front door, you get an image of your front door, your automobile. You instantly get an image of your automobile. Now, let me explain why you do. When I say the word feather, what I'm actually doing is activating vocal cords. I'm speaking. And those vocal cords set up a vibration. We call it language, or you can hear my speech. The vibration is a light message that your ears pick up. And that light message goes flying down a nerve passageway and strikes a group of cells in your brain. The cells that it activates have been impregnated with an image of a feather. So when I say feather, simultaneous with me saying it, you can see it. If I say front door, same thing happens. A group of cells are activated and an image of your front door flies on the screen of your mind. If I say your automobile, bingo, an image of your automobile flies on the screen of the mind. But keep in mind that my voice 
is a vibration. The vibration is a light message that your hearing picks up. It goes down a nerve passageway. You have a phenomenal electrical system in that body that you're living in. And as that light message goes down that nerve passageway, it strikes a group of cells in your brain, and that's where the image of the car is resident. And as they increase in amplitude of vibration, the image flashes on the screen of the mind. Now, when I say think of your mind, nothing happens. That is because you don't have an image of the mind. No one has ever seen the mind. The mind is not a thing. Mind is an activity. Now, there was a doctor in 1934 down in San Antonio, Texas, became aware of this. He said, we don't have an image of the mind. And what we're doing is we're treating symptoms. He was very involved in the healing arts and involved in holistic health. In other words, heal the whole person. But he said, we're not doing that because we don't know how to do it. We have no image to work with. All we do is treat what we can see with our physical senses, what we can touch with our physical senses. And so we're treating symptoms. And he said, I am going to create an image of the mind. And he drew what we refer to today as the stick person, the mind and the body. Now I'm going to ask you to activate your imagination. I want you to see a large circle. You could make it the size of a basketball if you choose. Below it, a small circle, maybe the size of a golf ball. The two circles are joined together by a vertical line, right from the center of the large circle down to the little circle. The little circle represents the body. The large circle represents the mind. Right through the center of the large circle, put a horizontal line. So we've divided that basketball-sized circle into two parts. The top half of that circle is going to be referred to as the conscious mind. It's referred to many different ways. Some people call it the educated mind. Some people call it the reasoning factor. Others call it the objective mind. We're using conscious mind. That's the part of your mind where your senses are hooked up to, like little antennae. In fact, you may see five little lines sticking out of there like antennae. And you can see, hear, smell, taste, touch. The outside world feeds information into the conscious mind through those antennae, those sensory factors. Now, the bottom half of that large circle is what we refer to as the subconscious mind. Could be referred to as the subjective mind or maybe universal intelligence. But understand this, that part will accept anything you give to it and accept it as reality. The conscious mind has the ability to accept or reject information. The subconscious mind does not have that ability. The subconscious mind has no sense of humor. It'll accept anything you give to it, and it accepts it as reality. For many years, it was believed that the conscious mind could communicate to the subconscious, and it does, And it gives it all kinds of information. And whatever information is impressed upon the subconscious mind affects your entire body. Your body is an instrument of the mind. But we never really understood that the subjective mind could communicate to the objective or the subconscious could communicate to the conscious. But it can. And it is done through a mental faculty 
one of your greatest gifts, one that I have worked at developing for close to 50 years, the intuitive mind. That is a mental tool that enables you to plug into and communicate with infinite intelligence. That's where that gut feeling comes from. That's where the hunches come from. What we want to do is understand it. And when we understand how our intuitive mind works, great things begin to happen. Now, some people refer to this as the sixth sense. It's not a sixth sense. It's a mental faculty. It's one of our higher faculties. It's not a sense at all. It is a marvelous mental tool that enables our conscious mind to receive messages from our subconscious. It tells us how to do many of the things we're asking how to get done. Every question brings with it the answer. The answer comes with the question. I know if you dig into your Webster's Dictionary, Mr. Webster says there's such a thing as a rhetorical question. That's a question without an answer. Webster did not understand what we're talking about, obviously, because there's no such thing as a question without an answer. That's a statement. Call it whatever you want. Every question carries with it the answer, and it's important that you understand that. When you ask the question, the answer's there. Now, there's some people that understand this. There's some people that work with it. We want you to be one of those some people. That's called your intuitive factor. That's spirit talking to you. We often say prayer is when we sit down and talk to God. Well, understand this. Intuition is when God sits down and talks to you. Do you want to know what the problem is? When we ask a question, we ask for the answer, we take the receiver off the hook, and the line is busy, and we don't get it. Would you agree, Mary? Absolutely. I loved when you talked about how in the upper half is our conscious awareness, what we're paying attention to, and all the while we have access to the lower half, which is everywhere around us is this infinite intelligence and we have direct access, and that our subconscious mind has no distinguishment. It doesn't say, oh, don't think that thought, don't plant this seed. It's like the garden. When you have a garden, the garden doesn't tell you, wait, 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 you're planting corn and what you really wanted was flowers. It will take whatever seed you plant, and thought seeds are no different than physical seeds. It was Collier who said this in his Secret of the Ages. There is within you, within everyone, this mighty, resistless force that, with which you can perform undertakings that will dazzle your reason, stagger your imagination. There constantly resides within you a mind that is all-wise, all-powerful, a mind that is entirely apart from the mind which you consciously use in your everyday affairs, yet which is one with it. Yes, this mind you think with every day is one with the infinite mind, just like your computer. You may be writing on a Word document. Meanwhile, you have access all the time to the Internet. You can get on it any time. You click a button and go to Google, and you ask a question. And when Bob said there's an answer for every question, it is with it. But for you to even ask the question, by definition, the search engines have gone to work. This is what Edison was doing. He would ask a question about an invention, knowing that he was connected to the infinite intelligence, and then pay attention to the hunches he got, to the inspired insight. 
and he would know inspired insight because he began to get interested in it. He began to pay attention to ideas that seemed electric, that was almost as if they had a light about them that was different from ordinary thinking. And you can know this too. Your subconscious mind partakes of this wisdom and power, and it is through your subconscious mind that you can draw upon it in the attainment of anything you desire. You know this is true with the Internet, that you think up a question and it goes to search and it will bring you everything that it has in its storehouse that is like the question you've asked. The infinite mind is exactly the same. When you learn how to use this part of your mind, this gift called your intuition, you can ask any question, you can come up with any idea, and if you relax and trust, you're going to start seeing some signs, some signals. Things will come your way. When you can intelligently reach your subconscious mind, you can be in communication with the universal mind. As surely as you're breathing in this moment, you tap into this mind. The universal mind is omnipotent, meaning there is nothing more powerful. There's nothing it can't do. It is available. It is all resource. It is all power. It is all wisdom. It is right where you are. And since the subconscious mind is part of the universal mind, there is no limit to the things which it can do when given the power to act. Given any desire that is in harmony with the universal mind, you have but to hold that desire in your thought to attract from the invisible domain the things you need to satisfy it. The intuition communicating to the intellect is where the spirit and the intellect become partners. That's where you become one with that which is. That's where you connect to your God. That's where you connect to infinite intelligence. And when you keep that connection, that is when there's a pure flow of genius to you. Before the objective mind, though, has begun to argue on the subject, it's like the surface of a smooth lake which clearly reflects the light from above. We get communicating with the infinite, and almost instantly we start arguing with it. We cut it off. There's a beautiful song, Our Two Worlds Are One. We almost made it this time, didn't we? In other words, we almost connected. Then we touch and it turns to sand. There's beautiful lyrics, esoteric lyrics to song. If you start listening to them, there's messages coming to us. When the intuitive mind is communicating to the intellect, we've got to be quiet. And as one author puts it, he said, before the objective mind has begun to argue on the subject, and that's before we start to think and mess it all up, he said it's like the surface of a smooth lake, which clearly reflects the light from above. But as soon as it begins to argue, from the outside appearances, that's where the intellect kicks in. That's where we let the outside world mess us. Then we throw all this beautiful reflection that was on the surface, and it's beat. It's like stirring up the water, and the beautiful picture's gone. We've got to learn how to be quiet. It's through meditation. It's through being quiet that this all happens. The mind of infinite intelligence feeds us. It gives us everything we want. It is a mixture of mental and spiritual. It's believed to be the point at which the mind contacts the universal mind. After you've mastered the principles of doing this, everything in your life will start to change. 
Anyone that has ever been in a seminar that I'm in, I demonstrate how intuition works. I'll walk up to somebody and I'll tell them exactly what they're like because the inside world is always expressed to the outside world through the instrument called the body. And so I can move into your presence. I will feel your energy. I'll feel your vibration. And you send off that vibration. My intuitive factor is what picks it up. It's the intuitive factor of yourself or another person that is working perfectly when you pick up the phone to phone someone. The phone hasn't rang, but the person you're going to call is on the other end. And you say, my, isn't that a coincidence? Is it really? Now, did you think of phoning that person and transmit the message right through the medium of the molecule, right through infinite intelligence into their consciousness and they acted on it? Or did they think of phoning you and they transmit an image right through the medium of the molecule, through infinite intelligence, right into your objective or your conscious mind, and you act on it right away without reasoning with it? Well, we're not quite sure whether you sent the message or they sent the message, but we do know that the intuitive factor was in high gear. It was working. You were receptive and you picked it up. Do you know, we're getting messages through intuition all the time. If you could see your intuitive factor as being a receiver, it's a receiving receptacle in your conscious mind. It's working all the time and it's picking up vibrations. It's picking up answers from universal intelligence that you pose to universal intelligence. How do I do this? The answer is there. It's there automatically. How do you think the Wright brothers got the plane off the ground? The way to get it off the ground has always been here. All the knowledge there ever was or ever will be is 100% evenly present in all places at the same time. So the way to fly airplanes has always been here. The way to build the incandescent light had always been here. It was that Orville and Wilbur were asking for it. Edison was asking for the answer. How do I do this? And then they were quiet and they got the answer. Did they get it right away? No. Why? Because they weren't ready for it right away. They weren't listening right away. The first time they asked, the answer was there, but they kept trying to figure it out with their intellect. The intellect is not going to give you that kind of information. The intellect will receive it, but it doesn't originate it. Well, you've got to understand the way to execute the image of the life that you've imagined is already here. It's nudging you. It's poking at your consciousness. It's saying, do this. Go here. Go there. You don't see it in your external circumstance. Your brother-in-law, the guy next door, the person you're working with, they don't understand this. You'll say, well, I'm waiting for the voice to tell me. They're liable to take you away in a white coat. See, they don't understand what we're talking about. They think this is crazy. Edison didn't think it was crazy. Ford didn't think it was crazy. Sir Edmund Hillary didn't think it was crazy. Think about this for a moment. This is not crazy. I'll tell you what this is. This is so unusual relative to the masses' way of thinking that hardly anybody recognizes it. But I'll guarantee you this. You keep going over this program, going over it and over it and over it, and you're going to understand what I'm going to say right now. One great author wrote, We have seen that the subjective mind is amenable to suggestion by the objective mind. But there's also an action of the subjective mind upon the objective. 
The individual subject of mind is his own innermost self, and its first care is the maintenance of the individual, of which it is the foundation. That's where your perfection lies. It lies in that subjective part of your personality. Do you know there's perfection within you? Your spiritual DNA is perfect, and you're always looking for the answer how to get to where you're going. And since it is pure spirit, it has the continual existence in the plane of being where all things subsist in the universal here and the everlasting now, and consequently can inform the lower mind. That's the objective mind. That's the conscious mind. It can inform your conscious mind of things removed from its physical presence. You can't see them, but they're all here. Nothing is created or destroyed. You're dealing with a big idea. You're playing with fire, fire that'll light your life. It'll illuminate your path. It'll take you to where you want to go. It's taken Mary where she wants to go. It's taken me where I want to go. We're building images all the time. Feel into the power of what is being told to you here that you have direct, personal contact with the mind that knows everything. Now, you don't want to know everything. You want to know your answers. You don't want all answers right now. You want your answers. And you want your answers in tandem to what you're interested in, the life you want to bring forth. You want to understand how it is, step by step, that you can take your life from where it is and cross the border between what seems to be between you and the life you want to live and allow these capacities that are God's gift to every one of us to bring you forward into the expression of your capability to create the life you want to create. So you have a picture in mind. You fell in love with this idea. You wrote it. You listened to imagination. You completed imagination, and you wrote an image of a life you would like to live. Edison had no idea how. The how didn't determine his ability to say what. And your how doesn't determine your ability to say what either. You may have no idea how. You're not supposed to right now. But you are supposed to know what. And by a clear definition of what, you start leaning into this mind that is everywhere present. You ask right from the center of your own being, what step could I take? You begin to ask some questions. Now, the interesting thing about intuition is it absolutely has no filter to all kinds of information about your life. It'll tell you everything you need to know. Gandhi called this the voice for truth. It's called by many different names. In the Bible, it's called the still small voice. But it's ever speaking to every one of us about all aspects of our lives, including something simple like you're heading out the door and it says, take that umbrella. And my logical mind will often argue with that intuitive part of me, and I'll look outside, and it's blue sky, and I'll say, I'm not taking that umbrella, it's blue sky. And I'll argue down the intelligence that would actually protect me, knowing that three hours later, there's going to be a big storm rolling in. Now, I've had to practice over time listening to that part of me that is not logical at certain points to me, because it is a higher knowing, it's a higher intelligence. This mind has all answers. So you go to that mind with the questions that you have about the specific steps that you can take for the life you want to live. So I told you earlier, I'd tell you about the young woman who was living a life where she was really struggling. She was about 28 years old. She had two children. 
she had not completed high school. She had a seven-year-old son, and she had a five-year-old daughter. She was living in a one-bedroom apartment that she was paying $500 a month rent for, and she was scraping that together, working at a fast food place. And then she took in laundry and alterations at night just to make enough money to get by when I met her. And she was, you know, a bright young girl, but here she was. She was struggling. The father of her kids was gone, disappeared. There was no child support, and she was making it and struggling to do so. So I began to teach her about the power that she had to create a different life. And at first, it seemed like a fantasy to her. It just seemed like a wild idea. And I said, if you'll just do what I'm suggesting you do, let it prove itself to you. You don't have to let me prove it to you. Let the principles prove themselves to you. I said, start with an image of what you would love your life to be. What is it that's calling you? What would you love to create? And it took her a while, and she kept thinking from the conditions of her life. She kept thinking, well, what can I do with $500 a month? What can I do with the little bit of money I had? And I said, that's backwards. You're looking from your conditions. Look from your desire. What would you love? You will find greater and greater loves in your life. You will find greater and greater capacities in you. But you start where you are. And so the next thing she really wanted to create was instead of her son sleeping on the couch and her daughter sharing a bedroom, she wanted her kids to have their own rooms. And she said, well, I'd like to create a place where my kids and I could live, where my kids would have their own bedroom. So I began to help her imagine that in more detail. She wanted her kids to have their own bedrooms. She wanted to have, so tell me more, tell me more. Well, I'd like to have a window over my kitchen sink instead of staring at a wall all the time when I do the dishes. Okay, tell me more about what you'd like to have. And she says, well, I'd like to have a fenced backyard so my son could have a dog because he's eight. He should have his own dog. And then she began to talk more. And she and I'd like a picket fence, and I want an arched doorway to go in, and I want a little fireplace. And she sort of got excited about the image of the little home she would love to have for her kids. And when she completed, I asked her to write it down and write in full detail what she wanted to create. As she did that, she finished it, and then she looked up at me, and she said, now I just feel worse because now you've got me thinking about something I can't have. And I said, but what if you could? And she says, well, how am I going to have this? I can never get this for $500 a month. And I said, but if you didn't believe it were impossible, what would you do? And she said, well, I don't know. And I said, well, stay in the question. Just keep asking, what could I do? After a little while, she said, well, what I could do, I suppose if I didn't believe it were impossible, is I'd go look for it. And I said, there you go. So she acted on that hunch that even though she had no idea how to pay for it, she went looking for it. And within a couple of weeks, she found kind of a rundown little house. It needed some work. It needed the floors refinished. It needed the kitchen cabinets redone. It needed the picket fence painted for sure. And the backyard could use some grass seed. And it was $900 a month. It was almost double what she'd been paying. And she came back. She says, now I feel worse. Now I found it. And now I can't have it. I said, but what if you could? And she's looking at her money. She says, there's no way I can do this on this money. And this is the learning that Bob and I are offering you here, is there is a way to work with the mind that has all the answers, has infinite supply, where you put yourself in harmony with the outcomes you want to create. At first, it seems a bit challenging because you're used to thinking a certain way. So I'm challenging her to ask the question, what can I do? What can I do? If I didn't believe it were impossible, what can I do? So she begins to think about that. What can I do? What can I do? And then her mind argues for the problem and she should know, what can I do? And an idea came to her. And the idea was to write a letter to the landlord and tell him who she was and what she would do if he would lease the house to her for a year at $500 a month. She would redo the floors. She would redo the cabinets. She would paint that picket fence and she would plant the grass seed 
and why she wanted it and about her kids. And she did more than that. She drew a picture of the house a year from now, and it was all colored, you know, drew a picture of what his house would be a year from that point forward if he would let her lease that house for $500 a month. Well, a couple of weeks later, she got a phone call, and it was the landlord. And he says, I don't know why I'm doing this. I got two full-price offers sitting on my desk, but your letter won't leave me alone. So I'm going to make a deal with you that you sign a contract for each quarter of the year what you'll accomplish in the house. I'll provide the supply. You provide the sweat. And I'll keep you to your agreement. And she said, absolutely. So that Thanksgiving, just a couple of months later, there she is in a house. Her kids have their own bedroom. There's a little dog yapping around. There's a fire in the fireplace. And there's a turkey on the table. And she's going, i got to pinch myself. How did this happen? That was her first dream. But this is how it works. When you do this, when you begin to understand who you are and what you're part of, it wasn't just that she got the house. She began to get a part of herself. And within the next year, as she accomplished the goals and the dreams that she had built around having that house, she herself began to discover that she was more than she'd known to be. The people at the fast food restaurant noticed it as well, and they invited her to be an assistant manager. And before the year was over, she was a manager, and she didn't need to take in laundry anymore. And when the landlord wanted to raise the rent $100, she was easily able to pay that increase in rent. And her self-esteem, her self-image began to grow. What she knew she could accomplish began to expand. And within three years, not only was she leasing that house easily, she bought that house, and she was a state manager for that fast food company. And I knew from there she just had a complete world opening unto her. That's a beautiful story. The importance of understanding and following the intuition cannot be exaggerated. But I candidly admit the great practical difficulty there is in following intuition. Now, I want you to think of this for a moment. Vibration is a law of the universe. Anyone that has paid any attention to the movie The Secret has heard a lot about the law of attraction. Well, the law of attraction is a secondary law. The primary law is the law of vibration. Everything moves. The law of vibration decrees that everything moves, nothing rests. You and I literally live in an ocean of motion. Your intuitive factor picks up vibration. On a conscious level, vibration is referred to as feeling. You don't say, I'm consciously aware of being in a negative vibration. I'm consciously aware of being in a positive vibration. You'll say, I don't feel very good or I feel really good. So feeling is the word we use to describe conscious awareness of vibration. Now, when you think, you set up a vibration in your body. Your body, your subconscious mind, the subjective mind is amenable to suggestion. We've already pointed that out. We pointed out you think in pictures. So when you impress a picture upon your subconscious mind, if it's a positive picture, you're going to move into a positive vibration and you will feel good. Now, exactly the opposite is also true. When the intuitive factor picks up a vibration, you get a feeling, I should do this or I should do that. Now, almost always, your sensory factors will survey the physical situation you're in, the conditions you're surrounded by, the circumstances you're experiencing, and almost always, they will tell you, to go the other way. Don't follow your intuitive factor. The physical world is arguing with these vibrations that we're picking up. The people that win are the people that follow 
the message they're picking up through their intuitive factor. They're not part of the masses. They live in a different world. They live in a world that very few people are a part of. This is the small one to 2% of the population that enjoy all the abundance in life. They're not following the crowd. I remember one time Earl Nightingale say, if you follow other people and you see a large group of people going one way and just one or two going in the opposite direction, follow the one or two and you'll probably never make a mistake as long as you live. He said that large group of people have never known where they were going. They don't know what they're doing. The small 1% group are the group that are using these higher faculties, these great gifts. Well, your intuitive faculty is a marvelous tool. It's picking up vibrations. We call them hunches, a gut feeling. Your opportunity is to gain an understanding of the difference between the vibration that you're picking up through your senses, either from your own thoughts or from the media or other people's suggestion, and the feeling that you're picking up from your intuitive factor. Anyone that knows me well knows that I have a highly evolved intuitive factor. I wasn't born with it like this. I was born and I was raised much like everybody else where this was all a bunch of nonsense. I gained an understanding many, many years ago, almost 50 years ago. And this is something that I became fascinated with and I started to work at developing it. How do you develop it? You pay attention to it. If you're with someone that you have a very strong rapport with, like Mary Morrissey and I have a very good rapport. We will be on the same frequency of thought many, many times. I'll pick up her thoughts. She may be on the West Coast, I may be on the East Coast, but I'll pick it up and I'll phone her. Just say, I was just thinking about you. I'll just say, I was just talking about you. And we pick this up. How does that happen? It's vibration. We were having dinner the other night and Mary was telling me a story about Gay Hendricks. While we were talking, I got a text from Gay Hendricks. I sent him back a message saying, your ears must have been burning. We were just talking about you. Now, here's what we want to ask ourselves: Were we talking about Gay Hendricks because he was thinking about us and he was dictating an email to his Blackberry or his computer? Did we pick that up through intuition and that caused us to start talking about him? Or did he pick up the vibration because we were thinking about him? It doesn't really matter. We were communicating. We were communicating on a level that supersedes the email, the text, the telephone. We were communicating through the medium of the molecule, right through the space and time that doesn't separate us. You see, we are together. We're all together. And when you deal in this plane, there is no time, there is no space, there is no distance. You're in the here and the now. Now, that's a big idea, and it's an idea that most people just don't grasp. I want you to start to understand it. Start to understand that when you get a feeling to go somewhere, go there. You get a feeling to phone somebody, phone them. You get a feeling to turn the corner and drive home a different way, turn the corner and drive home a different way. And when you ask a question, open your mind and be available to receive the answer. Mary, I'm going to give you the honor of bringing this one in for a landing too. Intuition is such a beautiful subject.
It is, and it's one of the great gifts that every one of us has the opportunity to develop. And I do know you well, and you do have one of the highest evolved intuitions that I've ever experienced. You know, in discussing intuition, people often ask me, well, how do I tell the difference between the voice of my intuition and the vibration of my ego or fear or some other voice that I may have? And to me, it's very simple. Imagine right now that the phone rings and you pick it up, and it's somebody you know and love very well. It could be your spouse. It could be a child. It could be a parent, your girlfriend, your guy friend of yours, somebody you really care about. And they go, hi, and they call you by name. Would you know that voice? Of course you'd know that voice. You'd recognize that voice. How would you know that voice from a telemarketer or a zillion other people who could have been calling you? You know them, and you know that voice, you know that frequency, because you got interested in them. You paid attention to them. You invested in a relationship. And over time, you came to know their voice among all other voices. And it's exactly the same way with the voice of your inspired insight, the voice that comes from the stream of the intelligence of the universe that is operating right at the center of your own being. You can know unmistakably. You feel it as a hunch. You sense it as a guidance. You know it as that brilliant idea that comes to you. It is inspired insight. So intuition is a spiritual faculty. It is a spiritual gift but it does not explain. It simply points the way. It doesn't tell us why. So for a moment, what Bob is suggesting here, and I really encourage us, if we would like to have a more highly evolved intuition, that we take his advice. And he said, if you get a hunch to turn right and your reasoning factor will say, why, why, just turn right. Suspend your need to know exactly why and begin to explore and experience this. Gandhi called this the voice for truth. And he said that voice is as loud as our willingness to listen. So there is a stream of inspired insight that every one of us can open up to, and it will guide us in the direction of that which we love most. So you fall in love with that image you've got about your life, what you would love to create and be and do and give. And Bob mentioned this as fire earlier in our lesson. Meister Eckhart said, Once man has mastered the winds and the waves and gravity, he shall harness for God the energies of love. And then... For the second time in the history of the world, man will have discovered fire. That's what you're about to discover with your intuition. Contrary to what many people believe, everyone possesses the extraordinary gift of intuition. The degree to which you can effectively utilize your intuition as a practical life tool depends entirely on your willingness to trust pay attention, and listen. By practicing the suggestions Bob and Mary have shared in this session, you will soon find your intuition is a clear and reliable gift that you can use in ways that will never cease to amaze you. Please join us now in session three, where you'll uncover the third of the six gifts.